Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So I'm your host, uh, Nav. I'm really excited. We've got some really amazing stories, all on the theme of bad calls, errors of judgment and their consequences, which is just universal, really. Please put your hands together and welcome Charlotte to the stage. If my husband, Alex, and I had a motto, I think it would be, things will probably be all right. And we've made our fair share of bad calls and stupid decisions, and things have gone chaotically wrong on occasion. But generally, at heart, everything's been all right. Three years ago, we went on holiday to Brazil to Bahia, and the people that we were staying with told us about this amazing place. They said, take the car and drive out, out of town as far as the road takes you, and you'll come to an old restaurant. Leave the car there, and you'll find a path. Follow the path for an hour through the rainforest, and you will come out on the most pristine deserted, beautiful beach you have ever seen. Don't go there late (laughs) towards evening because on the other side of the beach there's a favela and it can get a little bit dangerous. But, you know, if you leave now, you'll be fine. So we took the car and we drove out the road out of town and we found the restaurant. We left the car, we found the path and we set off into the rainforest. And the rainforest was beautiful. We followed the path and it went along the side of a little stream that would rise up and down into these waterfalls. And there were huge trees and toucans and little brightly colored birds. And it smelled of that thick rainforest smell and it was completely perfect. And we were walking for about 45 minutes when we came to a stone ledge that uh, rose across the stream. And sitting in the middle of the jungle on this stone ledge was an old man. He was wearing shorts and he had a pot belly. And uh, he stood up when he saw us 
and said, Onjustatugia, where's your guide? And in my slightly rubbish Portuguese, I said, oh, now uh, we don't have a guide, but it's fine. We know where we're going. And from the stone platform, you could actually see that the trees were starting to thin out and you could hear the sea. But he didn't move and he looked me bang in the eye and he said, but it's very dangerous around here. You need a guide. And he gave me this long, cold look. And at that moment, two other tourists came up the path behind us, two big, burly, 30-year-old Israeli guys. And they walked past and merrily said, good day, and carried on down the path. And me and my husband, Alex, we looked at each other and both thought, it'll probably be all right. And we turned to the old man and we said, thank you, but no thank you, we're fine. And we left him and we followed the two tourists down the path. And we followed the path for about another 10 minutes and arrived on the beach, which was beautiful and pristine and white sanded and not completely deserted. There were about 10 or 15 people dotted around it. And so we said, okay, let's not be dicks. We'll spend some time here. And when we see people packing up their bags and starting to leave, we'll make sure that we find a group of people to head back with so we have safety in numbers. And we found ourselves a little spot and we laid out our towels. We had a really long swim and ate a coconut and lay down on the warm sand. And then we both fell into a deep <laughs> sleep. When I woke up, the sun was considerably lower in the sky and it was casting an orange glow all along the sand that was totally empty. And I woke up Alex and we very quickly started to pack up our bags. And as we were packing our bags up, I saw from the tree line this slender young man walk out. And he walked down to the edge of the water and he took off his shirt and he took off his trousers and he rolled them up into a very neat bundle and put them by his feet. And he walked out into the waves and dipped under the waves once. And he came back and he picked up his bundle of clothes and looked up the beach at me for a second. And then he walked back into the tree line. When we were ready, we crossed the beach, we found the path and we set off. And we were walking for about 100 meters when we came across the young man. And he was dressed now, he was leaning against a tree and sitting next to him was another man about the same age, they were both about 20, thicker set. And they were listening to a radio and as we walked past we looked at them and said, bonjour, and they nodded. And we went past them and we carried on down the path for about 10 minutes to where it started to rise, this muddy slope that led to the stone platform where we'd seen the old man. And as we started to just get to this rise, I felt that prickling you get on the back of your neck when you know that someone's behind you. 
And I looked behind me and saw both men running at us with huge knives, <laughs> shouting, Lama Sumala, Lama Sumala. And I had my bag, and I took my bag, and I threw it up the path towards them. So as they came past me, they ran past and got my bag. And then they both turned to Alex, who had his bag, and they were both shouting at him and shouting at him and shouting at him, and they had their knives out, and their knives were cutting at the air just in front of his chest. And he was standing there with his bag, and he was looking at them and saying, uh, calm down, I'm going to give you the bag, I'm going to give you the bag. But they couldn't understand what he was saying, and they were getting more and more frantic. And eventually, one of them managed to snatch the bag off him, and then they were saying, tu bolso, tu bolso, what's in your pockets? And Alex, not being able to speak Portuguese, tried to do, very sensibly, the international sign language for I have nothing in my pockets. But unfortunately, he was wearing surf shorts with no pocket lining. So instead, he was sort of trying to show them the inside of his pockets, and they couldn't understand what the fuck he was, he was doing. And they had their knives, and the more frantically he was showing them his pockets, the more and more anxious they were getting, and the knives were getting closer and closer to his, to his chest. And I looked at them, and I realized that they were really fucking scared, and they were really fucking high. And at that moment, I wet myself. And two thoughts came into my head. The first thought was, wow, people actually piss their pants when they're scared. <laughs> And the second thought was, it is very important that they don't see this. They mustn't know how frightened I am. It was quite a surprise, because I actually have very good bladder control as well. I never wet the bed as a child, and I'm eight months pregnant, and I can still sneeze and not urinate, a fact I'm very, very proud of. And mercifully, at that moment, my automatic bladder control kicked in, and I stopped weeing. And at the same point, some Portuguese came back into my head, and I turned to them and I said, é tudo, é tudo, which is, you have everything. And it sort of stopped them. And they saw that they did indeed have both our bags, and we clearly had nothing else on us. And they turned to go. But then the slender man turned back. And he had his knife, and he gave me this look. And I realized, here I am, in a bikini and a dress an hour into a rainforest. And I thought, oh, it's not going to be all right. But then the thicker set one punched the other one on the shoulder, and he looked at me and he went, And I was like, yeah. <sighs> and they left. They ran up this muddy slope. They had a knife and a bag and flip-flops. And they were really stoned. And they kept falling down the slope. 
and Alex and I stood there kind of willing them up it. And they got to the top, and then we let them get a, a 10 minute head start down the one path out of there, sort of politely let them go ahead. And then we picked up a couple of rocks and we walked an hour back to our car, which thankfully they hadn't stolen, even though they had the keys, and everything was all right. Really kind people helped us, and they got us back to where we were staying, and people lent us money, and everything was fine. But it felt like, for a moment, someone opened the little door and showed me that things sometimes could not be okay. And since then, I've tried to keep a sense of that and to be very grateful every day when things are. Thank you, Charlotte. You might have seen these. We've had some, did you get these slips as you came in? And what was your most memorable phone call of your life? Ira Glass phoned me to tell me he was running late. All I could think of was, oh my God, now I have Ira's phone number forever. Even though I should have been listening to him telling me he was about to cause me massive stress with his lateness. My sister, my father and I were having a huge argument over the phone. I calmly told him his behavior was not acceptable and put the phone down on him. Two weeks later, my sister died. It was the last time my dad ever spoke to her. My ex-girlfriend telling me she was pregnant, only she wasn't pregnant. She was scamming me out of 1,000 euros <laughs> because we were in Ireland and she had to travel. I know this because I bumped into her with shopping bags the next day. When I was five or six, my parents played a prank on me. They hid their cars down the street and told me they were stolen. Me being the responsible toddler I was, called the police and two police cars turned up. My parents had to explain why they had wasted police time. <laughs> Genius. Okay. So, are we ready for more stories? Yeah. Okay, put your hands together. Give a warm welcome to David. Yeah, bad, bad calls. I got married in 2003. That's kind of it. Thanks for listening. A great crowd. Yeah. No, but you see, that wasn't really a bad call, because at the time, I didn't realize that it was a bad call. Of course I didn't. I was absolutely in love. But occasionally, you can, well, I, I certainly have made bad calls knowing at the time even that they were bad calls. Okay. So this brings me on to my decision to actually start smoking. I was 23 years old. Now, this sounds very stupid. By the way, in the next five minutes, there are going to be a lot of times when you're going to say, that guy's really stupid. And you, you are completely right. I was in a rock and roll band at the time. It was a Rolling Stones tribute band called The Strolling Bones. And I was playing Beef Richards, <laughs> a.k.a. Keith Richards. We had a Mick Shagger. We had a Bill Hyman. And of course, <laughs> we all wore leopard print lycra and tassels and everything. And I had a cigarette everywhere, you know, one in my ear, one in the guitar, one in the, my nose. So I said, ine inevitably started absorbing nicotine. And one day I thought, you know what, I'm just going to start smoking. Funny how that happens. 
Anyway, fast forward 16 years. So if you're very good at math, I'll give my age away. This is last year, this time last year, almost exactly. I was at Heathrow Airport on the asphalt in a big old Air New Zealand jet bound for Los Angeles with my wonderful girlfriend. Hence, you know, I obviously got divorced by that stage, by my side. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wasn't heading off to Los Angeles for a kind of wonderful holiday or vacation. It was the very opposite of that. I was actually going to appear as a witness in a court case. You know, quite a serious court case in terms of that people's future happiness really depended on things that I would say, and I was bound to be there. So a very, very stressful time, kind of allegiances were being kind of torn. That wasn't the worst of it. I wasn't feeling bad because of that. I was feeling bad because I hadn't been able to have a cigarette for four hours prior to getting on that plane. Normally, my modus operandi was I'd arrive at the Heathrow, you'd stand outside the place before you go into the terminal, and you smoke your ass off, <laughs> like chugging them puppies down. This didn't happen because we had a traffic jam, so we had to like, run straight through, get checked in, go into the other place, no nicotine. No nicotine patches, absolutely nothing. Just kind of cold turkey for four hours. Anyway, so we're on the plane. It takes off into the sky, hitting the gin and tonics pretty hard and pretty quick. <laughs> Funnily, at the moment the seatbelt sign goes off, I need a wee. <laughs> so I head to the uh, disabled toilet there, kind of pondering how I'm going to go through my witness statement. I've got so many things to do. I'm not feeling that great. And I put my hand on my back exactly like that. And I felt something very familiar. Feels like a cigarette. <laughs> could, could this be? And uh, it was. It was a lovely, lovingly rolled, American spirit-filled, licorice-papered, filter-tipped cigarette that I had hand-rolled the week before and forgotten about in my jeans. In my other pocket was my lighter. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to have myself a cigarette. Now, you may think this sounds very stupid on an intercontinental flight, you know, where the first thing they say is, please, ladies and gentlemen, do not smoke. However, I'd done this many times before. This is why I said there are many stupid things in this story. But, you know, I, this was I, I came from Africa. I was born in Zimbabwe. And, you know, you can smoke anywhere. You can smoke in maternity wards. You can smoke in you know, wherever. There's just there's no... And uh, if you're on an airplane, the airplane is smoking more than you are. So you may as well just, like, join in. You know, it's like, it's just, there's, no, there's no problem with that. But I did notice this very, very... Uh, kind of impressive looking gadget at the top that says, this is a filter. If you remove this filter, you will be in serious trouble. So uh, they have these plastic things that you can put over the, uh, the seat. You know, Air New Zealand are very conscientious about hygiene. So I thought, well, if I just put that over there, you know, so I took that out, and obviously there's suction going, this thing with this flashing LED, and it just absorbed it and made a wonderful airtight seal. I was like, ah, that's that one done. So I had the lid open. I was going to you know, vent my smoke down there and then kind of flush regularly. This is my grand plan. I lit my cigarette. And uh, uh, I think it's a roly. They don't smoke as much anyway. You know, they're like it's not like a marble light or something. Flushed it down, washed my hands, and I went back to my seat, feeling a hell of a lot better. I have to say, a whole hell of a lot better. Bong bong. Ladies and gentlemen, will everybody please remain seated immediately? The fire alarm has been activated on this Boeing 747. This is very, very serious. Please stay seated. We believe someone has been smoking on the aircraft. Yeah. Now, when you hear a kind of collective intake, this flight was full, by the way, of 300 people going, <gasps> and then a collective tusk, <coughs> and you know you're the recipient of that collective intake and tusk. I tell you, it's quite an intimidating thing. I'm sitting there going, 
you know, and then now I think, my fuck, I reek. I can fucking smell me. You know, it's like a vapor trail. I mean, I mean, everyone's gonna know. You know, they're just. And then my girlfriend's looking at me, going, you know, she knows me very well, and I go. And she literally, she started like clawing the seat. She's like, you know, who, 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 what, what, what am I with? <laughs> Anyway, so they said, we are going to be doing a, a cabin-to-cabin search. This will take some time, please. And I could hear they were vexed. So I just, I decided, look, when I was in the toilet in the cubicle, there, I saw there was a little no-smoking sign. It's a little thing. And there was actually an ashtray in, in the cubicle. You know, they've actually got a fucking ashtray there. So look, I mean, how bad can it be? I'll just get up, say, look, bad, bad call number two. Okay? <laughs> I might have gotten away with it, you know. I didn't. I decided to get up, and I went there to the little galleyway, and there was a girl. Her name was Susie, actually. I remember very clearly. I remember a lot of things very vividly. I said, oh, sorry, I'm the one. She said, I'm, uh, sorry, said, what, what, you, you, you're the one. No, I'm the guy who, was, who had the cigarette in, in the toilet. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I had unzipped my fly and, like, waggled my willy around and tried to slap her, she would have looked less surprised. She, she was like, okay, you need to wait right here. You, 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 Pull the curtain across. Just, just stay right here. I've got, I've got, I've got to go get my, my, my supervisor. So she goes off. And this guy comes down. I'm sure he was a kind of, sort of small, sturdy, built, very serious-looking, bald. And he said, you, you. Okay. He said, come, come here. And there's not much space. So we were just like doing a little circle thing. He said, come, come here, come here. Do you have any idea how serious what you've done is? We are on a transatlantic jet flight. The wings are full of combustible jet fuel. We have a full load of 300 people. You could have killed everybody on board this flight. What were you fucking doing? And I was like, Dude, um, I'm really sorry. You know, I, I, I had no idea. He said, no, 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 no this, is not, this is not even the beginning. I said, but, you know, but, but I thought you said this was just a warning. I said, but you were warning people. That's why I thought I would come up. He said, no, no, no. This is far more serious than you have contemplated. When you get on a plane bound for the continental United States, you are effectively in the United States. Federal law applies. Have you heard of 9-11? It's like, seriously, that's what he said. He said, it's called endangering an aircraft. And it's absolutely true. If you endanger a US aircraft, it's very serious. <laughs> As I realized. So he said, you just wait right here. I've got to go and speak to the captain. <laughs> My girlfriend's like, you know, doing kind of, you know, Rotational heads. And he finally comes back and he says, All right, um, I've got to tell you, this is very serious. A report has been filed to Los Angeles International Airport, and you could go to jail for 10 years, you know that. <laughs> yeah. The fine could be up to 50,000 pounds. You will almost certainly be deported immediately, and there will be no recourse for you to ever get a green card, and you will never be able to visit the States again. So I'm thinking, wow, how am I going to tell my girlfriend this? I'm also thinking, I'm supposed to be in this court case, which, you know, is very important. So that's just going to, like, screw up a hell of a lot of people's lives. So at that point, there was some serious groveling. I mean, groveling and apologizing like you've never seen before. I mean, we're talking next level groveling and apologizing and toe-sucking. And uh, So he said, look, I'll, go, I'll see what I can do. So he goes back there, comes back. I have actually physically gone white, well, a whiter by the time, and I was feeling very, very, uh, very bad. He said, okay, the captain, because you owned up, 
he's going to cut you a break. All right. He's actually written, because the moment something happens on an aircraft, apparently something like a fire or anything, it's immediately transmitted to your destination airport. They then call you back and say, are you under attack? Is there a terrorist? So the captain then has to respond. And he said, no, there's some, there's a fire potentially. He then sent another transmitter saying, look, it was just this guy. He's been under great stress. He's came straight forward. He said he had a cigarette in the toilet, so it's awkward. We recommend no further action. He said, okay, so it's 70% likely that they're still going to arrest you when you arrive in LAX. He said, but, you know, if it's a busy night and, and maybe if somebody else does something stupid on a plane, like really fucking stupid, you might get away with it. You know? So I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, he said, so look, I want you to just go back to seat, but what will happen when we land in Los Angeles, the captain will say something very, very specific. And if he says this, I want you to remain calm. Okay? The captain will say, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We have to remain on the stand for a certain time. Please remain in your seats. Okay, remember that? Remain on the stand for a certain time. That means there will be US marshals there, they will come on board, they will handcuff you, you'll be arrested. So I'm like, okay. I said, can I, can I have a brandy? No, you cannot have a brandy. So, go. so you know, and my other, my other sort of top tip is if you, are, if you do decide to have a cigarette on board a transcontinental flight bound for the USA and you plan to get caught, do it in the last half an hour because we'd only been there 20 minutes when it's happened. So I had like another 10 hours to wait. And you will not get the smiles from the ladies they pass by. You will not get the extra Pringles. Your meal will be cold and you will not get one alcoholic beverage. So it was a very long 10 hours. Anyway, we touched down in Los Angeles, taxi terminal. It seemed like an eon, an age. And finally we get there and uh, the captain does come on. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is your, your captain speaking. <sighs> and it was like the X Factor, but just, you know, in, in some kind of parallel nightmare universe. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Los Angeles. The temperature is 27 degrees and you have a wonderful time. <laughs> so we finally I get off. And honestly, as we walked off this plane, you know when on the cartoons they do thought bubbles, like little things where you can see? I swear I could read the thoughts of, not even the star, but everyone, as I walked past, they're like, have a, have a nice flight now. That's that fucking wanker. <laughs> what a bloody idiot. Yeah, and then, uh, again, any, any kind of international airport in America is designed to make you feel guilty, dirty, bad, unwanted, and criminal. Okay? So you can go in there on a honeymoon feeling like a million dollars. You will come out of an international American airport feeling like you know, you've been through Guantanamo Bay. That's the way they, they roll, homeland security. So I went in there already feeling at my lowest ebb probably ever. So, and I was paranoid. I was expecting to be tasered at any moment. I thought it was just a subterfuge. They were just like, kind of, didn't want me to make a scene. Anyway, finally, I got through the rolling, revolving doors out onto the asphalt, and I smelt that kind of dirty, hot, rubbery, gasoline Los Angeles air. And I tell you, just like a Hollywood movie, it was the last cigarette I ever smoked. Or was it? <laughs> Thank you very much, Jesse. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. 
Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thank you, David. Uh, so our next and final storyteller for this evening is Abby Goliath. Give a warm welcome. Uh, hello. Uh, uh, David, uh, I, I am American, and... Uh, uh, going through U.S. Customs scares me. Like it is a terrifying thing. Uh, I, I I live I live here now, and, and I, I have a visa. It's all legal, and I've never smoked on a plane, so I'm fine. But uh, it does scare me going through customs here as well, because I'm always afraid they'll like yell at me if if I I filled something out wrong and I'm bad with spelling and stuff. And uh, I wasn't going to tell this, but it was just a fun thing. Twice coming in, I had the same border patrol guy and he remembered me and we were like buddies it was awesome and I'm a stand-up comedian so now every time I go through border control I take one of my own cds with me so I'm like if I see him again I'll give him a cd because he knows I'm a comedian and maybe he'd like me I don't know but anyways border patrol that's a thing uh I, uh, I am, I am a, I'm, I am a comic. I grew up in Greenville, Ohio, small town uh, in the middle of the U.S. of A. And uh, I've lived in New York for ten years, and before I moved here. And my mother uh, is a big fan of. She's kind of a hippy dippy person, and she loves signs. You know, she loved like, oh, maybe this all means something. And uh, and and I was coming over here a lot before I moved here, and I, I did the Edinburgh Fringe Festival a couple of times. And one time I was robbed uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Someone stole my MacBook Pro, uh, 300 pounds, and the battery out of my camcorder, but not my camcorder. Uh, <laughs> that right there, that's a fuck you steal. You know, like that's... One of my, and, and they broke in into my flat like they they broke into where I lived to steal all this stuff and I, I told my mother about it and I was so upset and my mother was like I think this is a sign that you should stop doing international festivals and I was like I think it's a sign I should make sure my window is locked uh, when I was living in New York one one night I was out doing shows all night long and, uh, and at around 6 p.m., I, I got a phone call 
from my mother being like, hey, where are you? And I was like, oh, I'm out doing shows. She was like, okay, I need you to call me when you get home. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, I'm out doing shows all night, mom. What, what do you need? What is it? She goes, no, 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 just call me when you get home. It'll be, it'll be fine. Just call me. I, but you have to call me when you get home. I was like, it'll be very late at night. Maybe, what's up? Just tell me now. She's like, no, 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 call me when you get home. And I was like, fuck, I'm in trouble, you know? Because I had gotten on a huge fight with my sister earlier, and I was like, my mother's going to yell at me because uh, I'm almost 30, and it's still scary. But I texted her all night long, and I was like, I'm at the creek in the cave, and I just did a show, and I killed it. And my mother texted me back, and she's like, okay, call me when you get home. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I'm at Stand Up New York. I just did a show, and I killed it. She's like, yeah, cool. Call me when you get home. I'm like, okay. And, and even later at night, I did an 11 o'clock show that night, and I was like, I'm at the Bowery Poetry Club. I just did another show, and I killed it. And my mother was like, okay, call me when you get home. And it got to be about 2 in the morning, and I finally got back to my apartment, and I, I, I had gone to the deli to buy a sandwich to eat that night. I don't know if you guys have ever been to New York, but really, you, you don't need to go to any nice restaurants. You just need to go to any deli, order a sandwich, best thing you've ever had. They're amazing, and they cost $4. And... Uh, I had my sandwich, and I, I was like, I just didn't want to call my mother. It was 2 in the morning. I was tired. I thought we were going to have a fight. I called her, and I was like, what do you want? And she's like, are you home? And I was like, yes. She goes, is your roommate there? And I said, yes, just what do you want? And she goes, your dad died earlier tonight, and I, I didn't want to tell you while you were running around New York doing shows, so I thought I'd wait for you to get home. You're the last to know. And I, I don't remember too much after that. I remember dropping the sandwich and, and crying. I don't remember how long I stayed on the phone with her. But my roommate came in and, and gave me a huge hug. And, and I eventually did get off the phone with my mother. And then I was left alone. And for those of you who have had people who are close to you who have passed away, you kind of expect in those, those moments afterwards for something profound to happen. It was 2 in the morning. My roommate had gone to bed. My mother and I had gotten off the phone. My dad had just died, so I ate the sandwich. <laughs> it's all, you can, I mean, he, he would have wanted me to eat that sandwich. That's all you can think. Like, I didn't enjoy it, but I was like, I didn't, he wouldn't have wanted me to starve. That's a, that's a, like, if you've ever met someone who's like, they would have wanted, they're just trying to find some justification. And, uh, and the next morning, uh, I woke up and uh, we did uh, what we prepared a funeral, as you do when someone passes. And what, what sucks when someone close to you dies, I mean, there's a million reasons why it's a horrible thing, but the, the hardest part is you eventually have to leave your house, which means you have to come in contact with other people. And they are going to say those wonderful words of, Hi, how are you? And then you have to figure out whether or not you want to tell them or not. And, uh, and some people I told and some people I didn't. And, and people have different reactions when you tell them that your father died. Some people get very excited because their dad is dead too. <laughs> and now they get to tell you. And they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that your dad died. My dad died when I was seven and I've never gotten over it. I'm like, do not steal my day from me. 
This is my moment. And, uh, and other, other people handle it. My one friend, Rick Overton, who, who's a, a comedian in L.A., he's the only person who's asked this. And if you ever know someone who has someone pass, this is what you should say because it just was perfect. All he said to me was, I'm so sorry for your loss. Tell me about your father. That's what I said. And I, I, I was so taken aback, and I was like, oh, he, he, was, he was great. He was, he, was an, he was an eye surgeon. He, he loved to tell stories, too. And, and he was actually a huge, huge fan of the Rolling Stones. And, he, and, and he'd tell me these stories. And, and, like, one time, him and his friend Louie, his friend Louie, him, and they hitchhiked from Eaton, Ohio, to Dayton, Ohio, to see the Rolling Stones live. And it was back in the 60s when you still, still wear suits to a rock concert. <laughs> and my dad would tell me that story growing up, and he'd always be like, I have those tickets somewhere, but I can't find those tickets. And that's that's one story he always told me, and I told Rick that. And then I finally flew back to Ohio to to do the funeral, as it were. And I have three siblings and me. And may I say, if you need a funeral done, we do a good job. Uh, I, uh, I I I did the eulogy, and uh, I'll be honest, I killed. Uh, <laughs> don't all. I mean, I nailed it. Uh, to, to a point where afterwards, my, my, my parents had been divorced, so my mother was very pragmatic about the whole thing. And, but she came up to me after the funeral, and she was like, you did a really good job. And I was like, thank you, Mom. She was like, I just wish I had filmed it. <laughs> I don't know what we would have done with it. <laughs> what are you, like, I can't like send that out to people being like, hey, could I please do Spark London? Here's me at my father's eulogy. <laughs> You can tell as he is right there, dead. Uh, uh, but no, we did, and, uh, and my brother, uh, I did the eulogy, and, and another story I told is we had record players in my house growing up. Uh, my, one upstairs was my mother's, and the one downstairs was my father's, and I remember my mother once putting uh, Tommy, the Who's pinball wizard, on her record player in upstairs and playing it really loud. You got a pinball wizard, right? Like, good song to play on a record player. And, stuff. and my dad came in and, is, you know, it starts with the acoustic guitar and then the electric comes in with a... And my dad comes in with New Science magazine in one hand and his bifocals in the other hand and he's listening to the song and he's kind of jamming out and he just goes, a fine irony when you have to take off your bifocals to listen to the who. And he walked away. <laughs> And, and, and some other friends, <laughs> it was like, perfect. And, and one of my friends that I grew up with, Tara, she, she got in touch with me, and she was like, I, you know, your dad was, was super cool. I remember when, I, when we were hanging out once, I told him, I was like, he mentioned the Rolling Stones, and I was like, who are the Rolling Stones? And he took us down to your basement, and he put Let It Bleed, the album, on the record player and just everything shook with him playing it so loud and, and, and we're listening to it and my dad was jamming out and he's like, I went to see the Rolling Stones sometime and I have those tickets somewhere. I don't know where they are. 
Another story that was told is a story within a story, if you will. Uh, my, br uh, my brother didn't say anything during the funeral. He's a man of few words. And uh, uh, there was a moment where people could get up and, and say things about my dad. And my brother told this story that I just want to share with you right now, if I may. Uh, one time as a practical joke in church, my little brother and sister decided to take two hymnals and put them together with two pencils pointing up. So then after my father, the doctor, sings the hymn, sits down, gets a little prick, hoo-hoo, funny, sings, doesn't just lightly sit down, full on smacks his ass, and then in the middle of Lutheran Church in Greenville, Ohio, goes, ah! has to pull the pencils out of his butt because they got, that's how hard he sat on them. And my little brother and sister were so afraid that they'd get in trouble. And he was like, well, joke well played, kids. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he used to take me backpacking as a little girl. And the first time when I was nine, we were in the tent together. And, and this was the first time he mentioned the Rolling Stones to me. He, we were talking about something, and he, he referenced them. And I was like, who are the Stones? And he's like, you don't know who the Stones are, man? And I'm like, I'm nine. And, uh, <laughs> and he started to sing Sympathy to the Devil for me. You know, like, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. And it gets to that point where it's like, pleased to meet you. Won't you guess my name? And in a tent in the middle of Kentucky, my dad had a flashlight under his chin. And when it went, pleased to meet you, he lit it. And he was like, pleased to meet you. And it lit up his face. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> and he told me, that's the first time. He was like, I have those tickets somewhere. I don't know where they are. And, and, and he, he died, and, and we had the funeral. And uh, about a year later, I didn't get much stuff when my father died as far as, like, memorabilia, because I, I, I went a small apartment in New York. What do you have? Like, I, uh, I, I have, a, I have a, a carving of a bird that one of his patients gave to him that's uh, actually engraved to him of thanks for saving an old geezer's eyes. I really appreciate it. And this man hand-carved my father a red-winged blackbird, which is actually a bird I have tattooed on me because of that seeing that carving as a little kid. But that, that, that was it. And, and this wallet that my stepmother gave me that she was like, he would have wanted you to have this. And I was like, my father carried a money clip. And uh, <laughs> we weren't close. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but she did. She gave me this old wallet she found, and I, I, I you know, I chucked it in the shoebox, didn't think of it. And then about a year later, I was getting ready to go to another international festival, this time in Australia. And uh, I moved to New York to be an actor in New York and to be a comedian in New York. And, and ever since I moved there, I'd keep leaving and going other places. And I was like, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe I should be in New York all the time. And, and when I was cleaning up my, up my room, I found this old wallet. And I, I opened it up. And there's some s just weird stuff in it. There were these, uh, there were these lifeguard certifications from when he was a kid because he used to be a lifeguard and there were some old school photos and there were the Rolling Stones tickets. And I still have them. Uh, November 27th, 
1965 floor seats, 4 p.m. show, $4 tickets. <laughs> and I saw that and I was like, I think that's a sign. I'm supposed to leave New York. Thank you so much, guys. That's been awesome. So that's it for Spark Encore tonight. Thank you so much for coming. Um, please just give it up and say thank you to our storytellers, Charlotte, David, and Abigailia. Thank you so much for coming. We really hope that you've been inspired by tonight. If you want to stick around, share your stories with each other, that would be amazing. Um, and if you want to find out more about us, you can follow us on Twitter, SparkLDN. And we're on Facebook, Spark London. Okay, have a great night. Thank you so much for coming. Good night. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 